0: Um, as you can tell, we are not preaching an Advent series this morning. We are not in the book of Acts. We'll jump back into that next week, but rather we are um, picking up a little bit where Pastor Dave left off last week um, as he talked to us out of Isaiah 6 on the topic of God's holiness. So our, our, our passage this morning, really it's just two, two three, three verses. 1 Peter chapter 1 14, 15, and 16. And you'll be really helped this morning if you have a copy of God's word open. Um, If you don't, there are some Bibles and the seat backs ahead of you. And um, you can grab one of those out or on your device, whatever is easiest for you. Um, But you'll be really helped. We'll just be kind of hunkered down in those verses this morning. You'll be helped if you have those in front of you. And if the screen, I don't, I don't have any slides, all right? So don't even look up there. You got no business looking up there, all right? Don't even worry about it. There's nothing to see, all right? They'll figure it out and it'll be okay. Um, uh, Topic today is holiness, and just a, a, a very helpful book for me historically. It was one of the first books I read on the topic. A mentor of mine in high school walked me through Jerry Bridges' Pursuit of Holiness, and it was just wildly helpful. Um, and if you have not heard of that, or if that's something you'd be interested I bought a couple of extra copies. I'm just gonna leave them up here on the stage. And afterwards, if that could be a blessing to you, you're welcome to just come up and grab one, okay? Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. It's a classic work. And if it would, as the, as the message goes along, if that's something you think that you could benefit from, there's three copies. Don't, you know, if, if there's one, if there's not one when you get up there, just let me know. I'll get you one, all right, if you really want one, all right? Have you ever had the experience of living in a foreign land? I know many of us here have traveled abroad, maybe a different country. Uh, Maybe, theres I mean, the reality is there's parts of our country that feel foreign to us. If you've traveled abroad just in our our country, you can, different parts, if you're from Iowa, maybe Iowa feels foreign to you and you're from a different part of the country. That's possible, in fact, it's possible, maybe you've experienced this, um, to just go in different parts of our state maybe a small town in southwestern Iowa or northwestern Iowa, and you can, you can walk into that community and it can feel foreign to you, even the state of Iowa. Have you had that experience? Have you been in some place where you felt like an outsider and you found yourself asking, as you should, this question, wanting to be sensitive to the culture that's there, Recognizing your sort of foreigner status, have you found yourself asking this question? How should I live given where I'm at? What should my life look like? What should my lifestyle look like? What should my speech sound like? What should I do? What should I avoid doing? Have you found yourself navigating a location where you're asking that question, trying to figure out how you're supposed to live? Well, recently, I've had conversations with many Christians, many followers of Jesus who, given sort of our current cultural moment, unique, specific challenges to our time and place in history, have found themselves asking that exact question. As a follower of Jesus, given the world around me that I live in, how should I live? How am I supposed to live How do I stand a chance at living what God has called me to live? What should my lifestyle look like? That's a question that Christians, be sure of it, have been asking, searching an answer for from day one. And until Christ comes back, it's a question that we will continue, we should continue to ask. How are we to live? How are we to live? It's it's the question that Peter, in this epistle, was seeking ultimately to answer for his readers. What he wanted them to understand, how they are to live. See, the reality is, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we will always sort of occupy a unique position in this world. And this is what Peter wanted his, his readers to understand. And that unique position is sort of described in two different ways. You are, as a follower of Jesus, you are a marginalized community. You are a marginalized community. Peter writes to a people who, because of their identity as Christians, have become an alienated people. Because of what they have signed up for, they have become an alienated people. They do not enjoy, as it were, because of their identity in Christ, the luxury of prominence or high status in their society. Their lives are constantly under scrutiny, and they're in a precarious position. Peter's readers suffer hassles and inconveniences, slander and judgments, social isolation. Why? because they're Christians, that's why. The initial readers of 1 Peter would have carried a diaspora status as aliens and strangers in their own land. And it was getting, as a result, harder and harder for them to feel at home in a place where they previously had no problem feeling at home. They were, to be sure of it, a marginalized community. And the reality is, as the church today, as followers of Jesus, we are as well. We are as well. We are oftentimes, as Christians, misunderstood and misrepresented. Have you found yourself lately feeling frustrated at the way Christians or the church in the West are misunderstood, misrepresented? Maybe just you and your family. I mean, this has been a time where many families have come together during the holiday season. Maybe you've been around family members who don't identify as Christians, but they know you are one, and they misunderstand and misrepresent you. And that can be hard to deal with. That can be hard. Perhaps you've been mocked, despised. You've been pushed out of a circle of Friends or family or workplace where you should very much be in. You've experienced persecution, maybe suffering on some degree. Well, the reality is, this is a key aspect of being a part of God's family. Being a child of God means you will carry the status of being a marginalized community. But here's the deal it's not the only thing that marks us as God's people. See, what, for, what Peter's audience was trying to figure out is how do we live in a world where we exist as a marginalized, for them, minority? But God has also placed on us a call to not just be a marginalized community, but to also be an influential community. They they were, as we've seen through the the study of the book of Acts that we've had in the last couple of months, Paul goes into the cities and he interacts with the people in the synagogues, the leading decision makers and influencers of the day. He argues and interacts and builds relationships and, and demonstrates and proclaims the message of the gospel. He doesn't withdraw from the city. And this is what God's word calls us to do as well. Jesus says we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And we are to let our light shine boldly so others can see it and come from darkness, like we just got done singing about, into the light. So as Christians, as the church, this is the position that we occupy in this world, the place that we are to live, how we are to live in this life is we are to be in a marginalized community, this is our status, and an influential community simultaneously. Well, you can see that seems like it could be kind of hard, right? We're supposed to influence a community that oftentimes wants nothing to do with us. We are supposed to let our light shine in a world that loves the darkness. <laughs> well, what do you know? How are we supposed to live in that apparent tension? Is it a tension? What should our life look like given the precarious position that we occupy in this world? Well, good news for you and me. That is precisely what Peter is trying to answer for his audience. And his answer, the big idea of the passage and of the message today, could not be more simple. You probably don't even have to write it down. How are God's people supposed to live as a marginalized community and an influential community? What should their lifestyle look like given that unique position? Two words be holy. Be holy. That's the point. That's the point of the passage. It's the point of my message today. Be holy. Two words. Now, as Peter lays out an argument, so important to understand, we haven't Walk, we're not going to walk through the book of Peter. We're sort of just parachuting into just a couple of verses, which is not my preference, but it's what we're doing. It's okay, all right? Before he does this, he, he lays down in verses 1 to 12, he goes to great lengths to make sure that his readers understand, first of all, who they are. They are elect exiles, they are a people who have been born again to a living hope. And then that's what he says in verses 1 through 12. He he, he zooms in on their identity in Christ. This is who you are. And then in verse 13, he changes. And he says, therefore, the focus transitions from the indicative to the imperative. Then we see three commands, boom, 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 in verses 13 through 21. The first command is, therefore, given who you are, Therefore, number one, in verse 13, you should be a people who have, therefore, have steadfast hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then, at the very end, towards the end, he says that they are also to fear. They are to fear. Be a people who who fear. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile. Three commands. The first one, Be hopeful. The last one, be fearful. And then nestled in between is the command we'll look at today. Be holy. Be holy. So as we look at this passage, as we look at this passage, I accidentally reset my timer. I'm so sorry. So I have no idea how long I'm going. I will try to, I really apologize. (laughs) Just gonna see what happens. Three things that we're gonna look at today as we look at this passage. First is the foundation. Remember the command, the big aim, be holy. First is we'll consider our foundation of holiness. Secondly, Peter gives us a wonderful description of what holiness is. And then third and finally, we'll look at some additional motivation to, to being holy. Okay, so what's the foundation of our holiness? Well, Peter begins by making it clear, as I said before, he wants his readers to great lengths that they understand correctly how they ought to view themselves. How should they consider themselves? Well, Peter says in verse 14, as obedient children. As obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Before he issues the command for them to be holy, he lays a foundation for them that they ought to understand themselves rightly as children of God, Before he tells them what to do, he reminds them who they are. They are children of God. They have, as it were, a new identity. They are children. This is language that we see throughout the New Testament. They are children of God, or in Ephesians 5 they are children of the light. J.I. Packer, as we've talked about before, would say that summing up Christianity, you could do so in a phrase. What does it mean to be a Christian? Knowing God as your father. It's the sum totality of Christianity. Knowing God, the heavenly God of all, as your personal father. It's what it means to be Christian. And as a result, everything flows out of that truth. Your conduct, your behavior, your speech, how you operate in this world begins with understanding that you are a child of God. Now, this is a new identity. This is a new identity. Previously, if you go to Paul's writings in Ephesians, he uses the language of family and children as well to talk about our former identity apart from Christ. In chapter two, he says, in which you once walked, talking about the the former life, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. See the contrast between our new identity, children of God, children of light, our former identity, sons and daughters of disobedience and of wrath. So important for us to see how Peter approaches this call to holiness, where he begins, how he lays the foundation before he instructs them on how to live He reminds them about who they are. And this, this is so important. This is a strategy that we see New Testament authors use throughout the Bible. Think of Paul in Romans chapters 1 through 11. It's one indicative statement after another. This is the truth of the gospel. This is the truth of who you are. Truth after truth after truth after truth. 11 chapters of indicatives. The glories of the gospel. And then. In chapter 12, he, I appeal to you, therefore, based on everything I've already said about what is true, my appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, is to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your form of spiritual worship. Chapter 12 on, command after command, just in chapter 12, exhortation after exhortation. Based on this truth, this is is what you ought to do. This is the New Testament formula. And oftentimes, as sinful people, we can get it twisted, right, and this is not the gospel. Oh, I must do this to become that. That's not the New Testament gospel. That's not the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ is this is what God has done. Therefore, this is who you are over and over and over and over again. Therefore, because of that truth, this is how you ought to live. So important for us to not just notice, but to focus on. And I believe it's because, it's why it's so important, it's because it's God's way, through his word, to keep us from seeing our pursuit of holiness as oppressive and legalistic. This is common and unfortunate response in our community, in our culture today. As those who have received the salvation that comes as a result of grace, we are people who rightfully, just got done singing about it, should be totally in love with grace, (laughs) all right? And oftentimes, as a sort of resistance to anything that would oppose grace, we can put up barriers that would suggest there's any way that we ought to rightly live our life because it might take away from God's grace. And that while that inclination is good just to protect God's grace where it rightfully belongs, the truth of the matter is, God's heart for your life and mine is that we pursue holiness. Look at me. God's call on our life To be holy is not legalistic, nor is it oppressive. This call to holiness that falls on the ears of those who have been reborn, who've been chosen by the Father in heaven, who calls us his children, this call to be holy should in us generate a desire to please the God who loves to give good gifts to his children, and while it's hard, and while oftentimes it will come at a price, it will require sacrifice and saying no to a lot of things that the rest of the world wants you to say yes to, this good father knows what's best for his children and wants them to experience his best. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes from the Father. So my question to you at the beginning here is, is this how you see yourself? A child of obedience? And if you don't, if you don't begin with that as your foundation, your temptation will be to resist God's call on your life to be holy maybe you will see it as oppressive or legalistic or maybe you will say, no, that's for somebody else. That's for those who serve in ministry or that's for the clergy or for the pastor or that's for a certain group of people. And I would say, yes, it is for a certain group of people. And those people are called Christians. It's for all of us, every single one of us. And the foundation begins with being a part of God's family. Secondly, what's the description? He gives us a description of what our holiness to look like, what it is. See, holiness is a major theme in the Bible. Between the two different languages, the word appears in the Bible over 600 times. The book of Leviticus is explicitly dedicated to this subject, and God commands it over and over again. It's one of God's favorite ways to talk about himself, the holy God. If you're here today and you identify as a Christian, you can be assured that holiness is is very much for you. So the question is, what is it? What do we mean by it? For some, the word simply means no fun. For me, growing up, holiness meant no cable, no video games, no VCR. It it just sounded like no fun. And that's what I associated with it. And maybe many of you are here today and you would say, that sounds about right. That, that's what—that's what my definition, understanding of holiness is—is is no fun. Well, that's completely far from the truth. As we consider a call to be holy, we have to be clear on what it is. The, the translation for the word holiness, it comes from a, a Hebrew word, which means to sort of cut out and set aside. So in, another way that the word would be used in, in the ancient language would be if you were to cut out a piece of fabric, maybe to patch another piece, you would, you would cut it out and you would separate it from the old and then put it in the new. So it's, it's separating out, it's, it's cutting out. It also means uh, sort of a, an, an idea of, of entire moral purity, and entirely morally pure. All the time and in every way possible, the the word sort of carries those two meanings, cut out, set aside, set apart, apart from everything else, morally pure. And we put those two elements of holiness together, you're left with only one conclusion, and that would be that the Lord of hosts, God himself, is the sum and definition of what it means to be holy. He occupies this moral space unaccompanied. And it is our opportunity as his people, as his children, to gravitate towards his space. For his people, the word would imply both assimilation and devotion. Assimilation in the sense of imitating, conforming to, becoming like the God we serve, And devotion in the sense of we live our life in faithful service to him. When we talk about holiness here at Faith Academy, the the way that I like to describe it for for students here is that being holy means being both special to God, set apart, dedicated, devoted to God. God's own, special to him, his children, he's our father, chosen people. Special to God, but it also means being strange to the world. Unlike the world around us, the the world looks, and quite honestly, one of the greatest compliments that the world can give us as God's people is what? Why would you give that? Why would you not watch this? Why would you look like that or talk like that or love like that? Strange. To the world. So an easy way to think about what does it mean to be holy as God's people is it means being special to God and strange to the world. In our text, Peter uses the technique of contrast to help us understand what holiness looks like. If you look down at the passage, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So in bringing definition to the call, He says, do not be conformed. He begins with a negative. What is holiness first, what it's not. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. To be conformed, to be formed means to be formed together with respect to self. So the idea here is that of a sculptor. A sculptor, as they take clay and they, they form it, they bring it into a form, let's say, of a face. If I was making a, a sculpture of Ed, it was a wonderful face, the first one I saw when I looked up. I, I would be looking at Ed's face, and I would be bringing the clay to conform to bring it into the form of his face. That's what a good sculptor would be doing, trying to look looking at the model. What's the model he's looking at? Pushing it together. What what Peter is saying is as you form your life, do not look to your former life apart from Christ as the model to what your life should look like now. Do not push your life into the form of what you used to like, what you used to love, crave, long for. That was your former self when you were a child of disobedience, when you were children of wrath, you have no business forming your new self into what your old self looked like. And the number one feature that he brings out in defining what our old self was, was that of ignorance. The primary characteristic of our former life apart from Christ, a life that did not know the grace of our Lord Jesus, was an ignorant life. This is how our lives are, apart from Christ. They're primarily marked by ignorance. Until we come into the light of the gospel, our lives are marked by ignorance and the sin that so closely follows. And since we've crossed over from life into death, we are now to walk in the light as children of the light. Remain in the light. Abide in Christ. Then he switches over. That's what it shouldn't look like. Don't push your life into the shape and form of your former self. You were ignorant then. Don't do that. But instead, the positive transitions with the word but. Be holy in all your conduct. The word conduct here is simply in all of your, think lifestyle. Be holy. Have your lifestyle be holy. This is not a plea, as some of it interpreted in the past, to retreat into social isolation, to push off relationships with the rest of the world, but rather to have every aspect of our life, our social relationships, the way we spend our time, the speech that comes out of our mouth, the thoughts that run through our head, the images that our eyes see on the screen in front of us, the way that we spend our money, the way we conduct ourselves in work, wherever that is at the University of Iowa, in a hospital, in a clinic, in a business office, at a school, wherever we find ourselves working, the way we live our life at home with our family, in our relationships the way we spend our leisure time, yes, even our leisure time, the way that we rest, every aspect of our life should be holy. It should reflect the special, unique nature and character of God himself. This is a holiness that is to touch the deep inner springs of our life and work its way out from every aspect of our outer life. For the Christian, the one receiving this call, there's no divide between the sacred and the secular. There are no certain hours of the week that are holier and other hours of the week where you get off the hook. There aren't certain times of the day, right? There aren't just certain relationships you reserve for your holy relationships and other relationships where you give yourself a pass. Conduct yourselves, be holy in all of your conduct. This is the essence of it. The standard you'll see is, as he who called you is holy, be holy in all of your conduct. The standard of our holiness is God himself. He's the pattern by which we measure. He's, as we're shaping our life, he's the one that we're looking to. To push our life into conformity, into the image of Him. Not our former life, but of God Himself. And notice that this there's grace in this call. We are called to be, to be holy. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former, but as He who called you see the temptation is to hear again we resist the temptation to see this call to be holy as oppressive and legalistic and one of the ways we peter does that in the call in the text is by reminding us that we have been called this is god's good effectual work in our life to call us as his own everywhere that peter can he's pointing to the grace of god in our lives god's called you you've been chosen by him God is so good to us, and we receive this blessing, the gospel, because God has called us only because he's called us. And J.I. Packer says it well, he says that holiness is always, is always the saved sinner's response, gratitude for grace received. If you find yourself today, brother and sister in Christ, overwhelmed with gratitude, because God saw it fit to call you out of your sin, to give you new life in Christ, and then the appropriate response is to welcome this call to be holy. God, it's so good. It's so good. Finally, it gives us additional motivation in the text. If you look down, you'll see it says, But as he who called you is holy, verse 15, you also be holy in all your conduct. Look at verse 16, since it is written. He's given us multiple reasons at this point why we should pursue holiness. Gives us another one. See, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What Peter is saying is God's call on your life to be holy. Why should you pursue it? What's your motivation? Point number one, it's the explicit command of the word of God. Why should you be pursuing it? You shouldn't have to say anything else because God says be holy. And and he points directly back to the book of Leviticus where God says this. If you have your Bibles open, I'd just ask you to flip back there. It's one of the first books in the Bible and go to chapter 11. And we'll see exactly where he gets this from. It's towards the beginning of the Bible in chapter 11 of Leviticus. Again, this is a book that was really dedicated for the topic, the subject matter of holiness. I'm gonna read from 11, chapter 11, verses 44, 45, and 46. Or sorry, 44 and 45. It says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy For I am holy. should sound familiar. It's what Peter just quoted. Be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy." This is what God's word says. This is the standard formula. Why should we be holy? The standard formula for why we should be motivated to pursue holiness is because God said so. Point number one, making it clear. All right. And what Peter is saying is, listen, this command was given to Israel after they were, they were freed in, in you know, the, uh, the exodus out of Egypt. Okay. This is how you should conduct yourselves. I want you to be a special chosen holy people. You should be holy, for I, your God, am holy. This was his heart, his will for Israel. What Peter is telling his New Testament readers, those who've been blood-bought recipients of God's grace and his mercy, it's God's word still stands. Yes, you are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, but his heart, his will for you has not changed What God wants your life to look like, the way by which he's gonna use your life to, to make an influence to the world around you, one of the primary ways that you are going to advance God's purposes in this world is by being holy, because I'm holy. Peter's saying, listen, New Testament Christians, listen, Parkview East, God's word still stands. Don't wipe it away as though it's a part of the old covenant and it has no bearing on how we live our lives today. No, it very much still stands. Be holy. God's plan hasn't changed. His will for us as his chosen people hasn't changed. Point number one, why should we be motivated? Because God says so. It's the explicit word of God. But the second reason, it's not just God's command. It's also the entire goal of his grace coming down into your life. It's exactly what God wants to produce out of you. That's why he gave grace to you in the first place. This was the goal of what God was doing from the beginning. When God says, you shall be holy for I am, he says, look at what it says afterwards. He says, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. God. He's reminding them of what he has done for them. The whole reason he delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh was so that they would be holy as he is holy. This is the goal of his grace. See, the reality is, The story of of our lives in the Bible is that we were, man was, Adam and Eve were made to perfectly reflect God's image. They were made in his image. And before sin, that's what they did. They looked like their father. They reflected him. But then when sin entered the world, what did it do? It marred that image. It distorted that image that God made, that God loved. But God, in His great wisdom and in His wonderful mercy, from the very beginning had a plan to redeem that image, to restore that image. And he would do so by sending his son, who we know is the exact image of the invisible God, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, to buy back that image, to bring restoration to that which was marred, broken. Paul says it this way in Romans 8 For those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image. This was his plan from the beginning to make a people who look like him. This is the goal of our grace, and this is what it's all moving towards. God is committed to the restoration of his image. Holiness, brothers and sisters, is the goal of our redemption. As Christ died in order that we might be justified, so we are justified in order that we might be sanctified and made holy. That's the motivation. This is God's call on your life, and this is what it's all going towards the whole reason he, made, he extended grace to you was so that he could conform us to look like him. So what do we do about it? A couple of applications in closing. The first, um, I want to point out the absolute necessity of salvation for those who long to grow in sanctification. If you're here this morning, and maybe you wouldn't identify as a Christian, but as you hear what God is doing, maybe throughout history, maybe in your life, in your heart, and there's something welling up inside of you that that wants to receive this call to be holy. It begins by being saved. If you are not saved, you cannot be made holy. It begins by God's grace flooding into your life. You need to first receive the gift of his gracious offer. After all, the truth is, brothers and sisters, we possess no power, no ability in and of ourselves, no matter how strong our desire to grow in holiness apart from the spirit of Jesus himself. So you have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you first. You must be born again by the power of the gospel. And if this is something that you have not received, if you've never received, put your hope and trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life, the savior of your life, Never turn from your sins. Don't wait anymore. This is where your journey in holiness begins. Do it today. I would love nothing more than to talk to you following the service. Please come and grab me, and I would love to help you in that. Secondly, I just want you to take a note for those of us, all of us here, the relationship between hope and holiness. Notice in verse 13, he begins and says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into our passage. There is in scripture a constant connection between hope and holiness. I see it in Titus chapter 2 as well. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. In other words, called us to be holy. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is intentional in connecting our holiness and our hope in scripture. And the reason he does it in scripture is because those two things are deeply connected in our lives. If you wanna pursue holiness, you must maintain hope. And they, they work together. So if you take your eyes off of the hope of what is awaiting us in eternity, you will quickly notice that your life doesn't look Holy, the idea is that we live our life constantly with an eye to the hope that is awaiting us when our Lord and Savior returns for us. And as our hope increases, our desire to pursue holiness increases. And likewise, if we see in our life no desire to live a holy life, then we should question whether we have hope at all in the first place. They work together. Third, what should we do? Application, learn Christ from regular Bible intake. Aiden mentioned at the beginning the Bible reading plan that our church is trying to help folks just dive into scripture. If you don't have a plan in this new year for regular Bible intake, then it will be hard for you to grow in holiness. Again, there's a guy a number of years ago who I haven't seen him for years, but around town he would take a, a painting he would kind of post up in different places downtown typically and he would be painting buildings. And he would would always stand out because he'd be in high traffic areas. I used to always see him at the top of North Dodge. I don't know what building he was painting there, but there was something he was painting and he would just be sitting there out in the street with his easel, his paints, and he'd be looking. He'd relocate because he needed to get the best image, the best sight he possibly could. For us, if we want our lives to not be conformed into our former What our former self looked like? We need to keep our eyes on Christ, the exact imprint of his nature, the exact representation of who God is, the radiance of his glory. Our eyes need to be fixed firmly, on Jesus, And we need to learn him. That's what we've said being a disciple is over the years. It is someone who loves Christ, who learns Christ, and who lives Christ. So I just simply ask you, what is your plan this year to learn Jesus? If you don't have a plan, it's the surest way to, to make sure you don't execute it. Have a plan. Fourth, uh, we recognize that there are some of us who... Maybe there are some unique sins or struggles that we are are trying so hard to overcome in our life. These could look like things like pornography or maybe substance abuse, maybe anger issues. Whatever that particular sin is that you have been for years trying to overcome, battling and struggling, I wanna encourage you not to do it alone. Um, I've mentioned it before, but we're starting a pilot group here at East called Regeneration, and it's built off of a recovery ministry that's nationwide, and we're looking to start it in the next couple of weeks. Some of you have signed up to be a part of this. It's a pilot group. Our hope is that it's not just for those who are struggling with sin, but also maybe just challenges in life, relational difficulties, anxieties, dealing with former guilt and shame of your past life that the devil keeps bringing to your mind. We're encouraging you, if you would like to sign up, a small group of folks to really, it's a big commitment and a deep dive, Um, but our hope is that this would eventually grow into a a ministry that could really serve and bless our church and our community. Um, Anessa is here. Anessa could stand up and wave, and I would encourage you, if that is something you're interested in, it's gonna get started in the next couple weeks, please see Anessa to get more information and get your name on our list so that we can begin to plan accordingly, okay? So, Sorry, I lost my timer, but I thought it was gonna be quicker than it was. I'm sorry. Um, God's call on your life as a follower of Jesus is to be holy. This is not oppressive. This is not his way of keeping you and me from having fun. It's his way of inviting us into the wonderful adventure of making the world around us See him. And we'll be marginalized. We'll be mocked as we say yes to some things and no to others. But God, just as he's holy, he's also faithful. And as he calls us to be holy, he also asks us to be faithful as well. I would encourage you not to try it alone. Community groups, church body, let's do it together. Let's see what the Lord does through us our holiness this year. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is so good. It is so gracious, Lord, and you are a good and gracious God to us. Um, Lord, we thank you for the call that you've given us to be um, just like you. You didn't have to give yourself to us. You didn't have to share yourself with us. Lord, but you chose to, and it is an amazing privilege that we get to share you with the world around us. Lord, give us the strength, give us the wisdom. Help each of us see individually what pursuing holiness looks like us, looks like for us in twenty twenty three. We love you and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.